Hey, this is Stories from the C-Suite. Each month, we bring you the different stories of how amazing people made it to the top of their field, how their backgrounds helped them achieve what they are doing currently and what the future will hold for them. I'm Tom Coates, and I will be your guide. Our guest this week, well, first off, any fellow that makes me look small, I like from the get-go. This guy is head, shoulders, larger than I am. Big, huge, bushy beard. Great guy. Used to be an attorney. You've got to hear what he's doing now. So we'll hear that story. And part of that, you need to know who was on his Christmas card list when he was an attorney. But first, let's do this. As a business owner, one of the things, I, I grew up in a small business, so this I recognize how my father, my grandfather, and everybody just worried about things. Every day, you either worry about making money, saving money, being efficient, or, or just staying out of the government's way. And they had no one to really look to outside of themselves. It's a very lonely job being a business owner. And that's why we're really proud to have partnered with the Lonely Entrepreneur. What they do, it's its online training for the business owner. Yeah, who's he or she going to call on? And when are they going to go find this outside knowledge? Well, it's an online with the Lonely Entrepreneur is a resource that they're reasonably priced and they bring it on your time. So I'm really happy to have them part of our program. All right. So I'm, I'm a little bit tickled here. Um, in the, in the intro, Trey, I, I mentioned that you're head, shoulder, head and shoulders taller than I am. <laughs> Most people. <laughs> True, somebody I can look up to. Uh, I, I just I like standing next to people that are, are taller than me because it makes me look not so big. So this is, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and also, you can grow that big, bushy beard. I'm not able to do that either. Um but what I wanted to do is you have a, such a diverse and interesting background. Uh, first off, um, everybody calls you Trey. Yes. Now, on your LinkedIn profile, do you have Trey or your Christian name? I, honestly, uh, it's been a while since I've I looked at it. In the sense I'm pro- pretty, I think it's I think your it, Christian name. Yeah, I think it might say Marshall, yes. which is uh, yeah, so, my, my given name. Right. So let's, let's, so um, let's. To your your given name out, it's Marshall. Yes, Marshall Marshall the third, which hints why he goes by Trey. And uh, so you ended up going to the university. Which one? Remind me. So I went to undergrad at uh, Lambeth University in West Tennessee, right. which has the distinction of no longer existing. <laughs> yes, yes, I remember this. And then you went to law school at uh, Southern Illinois in Carbondale. Yeah, I could not remember that. For some reason, I, I was wanting to put you at that that one over in West Tennessee, Knoxville, but um, Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Got your law degree. You came to Nashville. When did you come to Nashville to practice law? Uh, this is home. Okay. Uh, I, I grew up in Gallatin, so about twenty minutes north of town, uh, on a cattle farm. So it was uh, literally just coming home. All right. So so grew up a cattle farmer. No, uh, important distinction. Let's, let's, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I grew up on a farm. It was family farm yeah. uh, in a house that was built by a great-great-grandfather of some, some time. Uh, old farmhouse, and we had land, and we there was a guy that we rented that land to who did cattle farming. <laughs> uh, the, the extent of farming that I've ever done is every once in a while a cow would get out of a fence, and I would chase it back into the fence. That is awesome. the, full, the full extent of my farm experience. <laughs> full disclosure. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm no farmer. Do you, um, 
when when companies move here from um, out west when, in, in California, years ago when they would come over, uh, they, they they would move their corporate headquarters here, and they could sell a very modest home in California and just buy a farm here. And, and it's not so much that way anymore, but back in the day they could. And so in my part of Rutherford County, this fella did that, and he wanted to be a, a cattle farmer. And, and, but as his cows kept getting out, he said, fine. And he became a goat farmer, <laughs> and his neighbors laughed at him because goats are worse than cows on getting out. And now he just leases out the land. <laughs> it was a nice try. Yeah. It, it is surprising, though, with those cows. I mean, they'll jump a fence. Yeah. They, they, they'll do it. Oh, my goodness. Now, now you grew up in, in Gallatin. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Green Wave, is that right? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Which they're uh, apparently good at football again. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take that. Yeah. I'm not sure that my high school was ever good at football. <laughs> Was, but there's only nine, eight of us that graduated from my class, so <laughs> we're a small school. And and um, so, what what made you want to go in to be a lawyer? Uh, it, you know, when I was in high school, I, this is kind of silly, but I, I read the John Grisham book, A Time to Kill. Oh, and one of my favorite books. I, I had a teacher who told me that you know she thought that I would uh, make a good lawyer, and I, I didn't really think much of it. And then when I was in high school, I was involved in mock trial and, right. and Model UN and all of those kinds of organizations and had a good time doing it. And then went to undergrad, and then after undergrad, it's kind of I had to make a decision, and I wasn't very good at making a choice at what I wanted to do. And so I ended up going to a place that had a joint degree program that was a PhD in political science and a law degree. Okay. Because I was still trying to just delay that decision as much as I could. Uh, when I got to SIU, I found out they were a lot better at advertising that program than they were at having it. Apparently, I was the only person that had ever applied for it. Uh, so they didn't really have the details worked out as to what that was going to be. The way that things are structured from a law school standpoint is in order to be accredited, you have to take the first full year of law school, even if you're doing a joint degree program, because mm-hmm. the curriculum is all matched across the country. Okay. So by the time I finished that, started enrolling in the PhD program, figuring out that it wasn't really something that was there. It's like, I don't know that I want to spend the next five years being a guinea pig for this program. So I just finished the next two years of law school and came back and started looking for a job. There you go. Now, you've shared with me a couple of stories about your, your time with, in, as, as a lawyer here in Nashville. Um, one of them has to do with an elevator. <laughs> well, yeah. So... Uh, um, I did personal injury litigation, and so I, I represented people that were hurt in all kinds of different capacities uh, in cases. I did workers' compensation, premises liability, products right. liability, car wrecks, medical malpractice, everything. If you got hurt, I did that type of work. Um, I think that probably the case that you're talking about was that I, I had a woman who was in an elevator, and it just kept going up and going down and going up and going down. Go up to the top and hit, go down to the bottom and hit, go up to the top and hit, go down to the bottom and hit. She stopped counting that happening at about 35 times. It just oh kept word. going and kept going and kept going, and it never stopped. Uh, and she ended up having to get out of the elevator by the fire department prying the doors open and her jumping out as it went past, uh, which, needless to say, was a pretty terrifying and harrowing experience. <laughs> so uh, she had some physical injuries, but a lot of it was just 
psychological residuals from from being yeah. terrified from having been involved in that type of a situation. Absolutely. But I had a lot of different elevator cases, you know, ones that uh, misleveling, you know, somebody stops on a floor and the, the elevator stopped a foot and a half above where the floor is and they step out and break a leg. Wow. Uh, I learned a whole lot about Because we're all on our phones and not looking where we're going. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also just assume that things are going to work. You know, all of us have a very good understanding of how things operate as far as from a user end. But as yeah. far as how they actually work, we don't really know. So we just expect that they're always going to do what they're supposed to do. Right. And when they don't, people get hurt. Kind of like the time you got stuck in the elevator. Yeah, I have been stuck in an elevator. Uh, yeah, that was uh, at the courthouse, actually, yep. uh, on the way to a hearing. And there were about 15 of us stuck in the elevator. And it stopped on the floor, and the doors opened slightly, and they wouldn't open anymore, and it wouldn't move, and it wouldn't do anything else. There was an older attorney in the elevator who asked me to hold his things because he indicated that there's usually uh, a lever in there that will open the doors, which I, I found to be quite funny. <laughs> All of the numerous times I'm sure he's been trapped in an elevator. Well, he's an expert. <laughs> so, uh, as you might imagine, uh, he was not successful in finding this magical lever. Right. And then he uh, uh, said, well, there's nothing that can be done. And I handed him my things. And then I laid a shoulder into the door until I broke it and it opened. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oops. Yeah, so, I love that. Sometimes there's a brute force away around a, a less than elegant situation. <laughs> yes. And it, it tends to work that way. But the, just the idea of having 15 people in elevators terrifying to me. I mean, I like people, but not that much. It was pretty packed. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And then um, another story that, that you've shared with me, which I have repeated numerous times. I just think it's the absolutely coolest thing in the world was your um, your Christmas card list. Oh, well, so that that was actually my uh, my brother. Um, my brother is my business partner, so yeah. I, I own a film production company. Yeah, we'll get uh, to yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So my brother is my, my business partner. As part of a promotional series that he did, uh, took an antique Santa doll and uh, a series of other little antique toys and then took kind of uh, strange pictures of those in, in various situations every year. And they would send those as marketing materials to different clients that we had had in the past to oh send out goodness. these Christmas cards of uh, Creepy Santa. So it's creepy a, Santa so Christmas a whole, cards. whole series of Creepy Santa Christmas cards. You know, Santa <laughs> partying a little too hard, uh, Santa and the reindeer <laughs> robbing a store, you know, all kinds of different, <laughs> just bad different, creepy, yeah, bad Santa stuff, <laughs> but with a very creepy looking antique Santa doll. So you, you have a, a, a weird thing about Christmas anyway, because... Uh, when when your attorney, you would send send uh, Christmas cards to the other lawyers that you sued. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, lawyers <laughs> lawyers have a kind of a perverse sense of humor in that sense. Uh, defense attorneys will often come up to you and say, "Thanks for suing me today," and that's uh, because that's how everybody gets paid. That's yeah. how everybody has a living. So that's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's let's get you, you mentioned it earlier because I I think it's hysterical that you as an attorney. You realize that your passion is not really suing people. It's terrifying those stew out of them. <laughs> so, and I'm not, and I, I'm kind of like, what's the difference between the two? So, walk <laughs> us through that transition from that. Yeah. So, I, I've always, in some way or another, done creative pursuits. Um, when I was an undergrad, I wrote plays and had those produced. Um, and then when I was in law school, I started doing stand up comedy. I did stand up comedy for 10 years. 
Love that. And uh, my brother, during that entire time, was working as a photographer. Okay. And he's always, since the age of 14, he got a camera in his hand, and that was it. He knew what he was about. Yeah. And he started to get more influenced from a cinematic standpoint than he was from still photography. Mm-hmm. And he started wanting to do more with film and wanted to be more interested in film. And I'd always been doing creative writing in some capacity. And so I, we started writing stuff and making it and putting it out. And I was working as an attorney during this time, but we started to gain some traction from these short films that we were making. Instead of sending them out to film festivals, getting in and getting into more of them and then winning awards and then selling them for distribution and, uh, and getting a real traction in that regard. And I, I found that I was spending all of my time that I wasn't working as an attorney trying to do these other creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. And it reached a point where I thought, you know, let's try to take a real run at it. Yeah. And so then I, I left the practice of law in order to pursue filmmaking full time. I love that. So what are some of the awards you guys won? Uh, we've won different things. I mean, uh, you know, we had audience awards. We had uh, best uh, horror short film at Screamfest in L.A., <laughs> Uh, so what was the hard um, so short film it's about? It's a short film called Daddy's Little Girl, and it's about a little girl who has an abusive father, mm. and uh, she's never really known a different experience other than that, and uh, she decides to do a little research on her own and uh, uh, take matters into her own hands in a literal sense in order to try to change his personality um, and, and stop the abuse that's been going on. Okay. Um, that's, that's a lot of what it is that's going on. It's four minutes long. Oh, wow. Um, and you know, we ended up doing really well with that. We won a bunch of different awards at festivals. The biggest one being at Screamfest, uh, in LA. Then we were able to sell that film for distribution. Mm -hmm. It was an in-flight movie on Virgin Airlines. It was the number one short film on iTunes when we launched on the service. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's still, uh, generating residuals now. It's on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play. Or so, uh, how can people find that? Yeah, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Verizon FiOS. If you know what that is, I don't entirely, but it's on there. <laughs> All right, so tell them what to yeah, search for. And it's uh, Daddy's Little Girl. Okay. And uh, uh, by Best Part Productions. So there are a couple of other things that are there, but it's the only short film that I know of that yeah, is yeah. of that title. And the Best Part. Best Part. Like P-A-R-T. You'll miss, right, you'll miss the Best Part. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Best Parts Productions, Daddy's Little Girl, because I, I think having the production's best part is when you do that search, it's probably Yeah, safer. yeah, I mean, I would do it within the program, iTunes or Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily just do a web search. Yeah, yeah, uh, you, I think so, too. You can also get to it through our website, bestpartproductions.com. Perfect, perfect. Now, so um, you have a project that you're working on right now. Yes. And, and, and somehow you you guys became horror movie experts so it's a strange thing that happens in the independent film world is that uh horror films are a good entryway into the marketplace because horror fans don't necessarily care if there's a star in it they don't necessarily care who the person is that made it right um also those films tend to lean themselves towards low budget productions um, without necessarily cutting quality. They're already in limited locations, a limited number of people. It's dark. There's not a lot of other <laughs> stuff going, you know. You're not necessarily cutting production value to reduce the budget, right? You don't right. need explosions and, you know, a bunch of animation or a bunch of other things going on. Um, so, uh, you know, we had... Well, I never, I never thought about a horror movie having one of these big stars. It never crossed my 
brain to think that you don't see these big, you know, main stars in the horror movies. No, I mean, it really doesn't happen very much. And part yeah. of that is because... Well, you're going to kill them off during the movie, so... <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of it is studios don't even make horror films big budget most of the time. You know, right. you see a studio make a movie like The Purge, and right. they make it for like $2 million. They don't make $100 million horror movies. Mm-hmm. It's just not the way that things generally operate. Um, but we had made Daddy's Little Girl. We had a, quite a bit of success with it. And then as a result of that, people were like, oh, you guys are horror guys. That's what it's about. Yeah. You know, you guys you got really, labeled. Yeah, you're really good at that. It's like, that's fine. That's a box sure. we can live in. Mm-hmm. Um, we kept making other projects. We made a documentary after that. We did a, a film about multi-level marketing companies. We did other things. Was that a genres. horror movie? <laughs> I mean, it depends on your perspective, but, you know, kind of. Uh, but then also my brother worked uh, on uh, three feature films, two of which were horror films. Okay. Um, he shot those uh, and then also was a producer on one that's in post-production right now. And so, again, we've done several of these projects. Yeah. Uh, and then the film that we're working on right now, which is a feature film, it'll be our first feature film as a company um, called The Other People, and it is a horror film. Um, and we're in the capital raising point of that right now. Uh, we're past half funded, and the plan is to shoot here in Nashville in February. Oh, that's fantastic. And then the the you mentioned about past house, uh, half funding. And so what I, I think is so incredibly cool that just regular people can be part of your effort. Oh, so can, can you can you walk me through how that happens? Sure. I mean, all of the money that we've been raising for this film, it's an independent film production, has all been individual private equity investment. And part of that was born out of, I sat in an office for over a decade right, who, and had other interests and had other things that I was curious about and had other things that I wanted to be a part of, but I didn't necessarily know how to or what that was. Mm-hmm. And I went out and did that. I went out and learned about it. I went out and put in the time. I put in the research. I did all of these different things, and I was making stuff over that decade. But I know that that's not an avenue that's available to everybody. Right. But I know that there are other people that are out there that have that same feeling, that they wish they could be a part of something like that, but they don't know how to go about it or never even considered it as a possibility. That was philosophically important to me. And so I thought there's no reason that the art creation standpoint can't have that philosophy applied to its financials in the same way that you apply it to the art itself. And so I wanted to have people have the ability to have access to this and to be able to be a part of it. It's something that wouldn't break the bank. Yeah. Uh, our minimum investment point in this film is $5,000. There you because go. Because I wanted it to be something that was accessible to people. If it sounded exciting, if it sounded fun, it sounded like something you wanted to do, I didn't want it to be something that was only for the elite. Right. I wanted regular people to be able to be a part of it and be a part of that community if they Horror wanted to be a part of it. movie for the people. That's it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Because I love that. There's all this mystery that goes around the creation of art that people think right. it's some big extravagant thing. Right. You know? Like, I'm, I'm just a dude from Gallatin, Tennessee. Like, exactly. And most of the things that are getting made are also just a bunch of regular guys or girls in a garage putting stuff together and making it happen. You know, not everything is the Avengers. That's true, and I, I, it's to me, it's just to 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 give people the opportunity to be part of something like that. I, I just I love that. It's just because everybody kind of needs that distraction. So so walk me through a couple of things. If they become an an investor in this, what 
how are they still part of that process beyond just writing the check? Yeah, so we continue to follow up. You know, we provide updates as to what's going on as things are progressing. You know, we try to create that sense of community among the pool of investors. That's what I was asking about. Yeah, we definitely want that to continue. We want people to be excited about it. We give updates about what's going on, you know, uh, possible distribution channels, film festivals, all of those kinds of things. Additionally, we're open to people having access if they want it. Somebody wants to come by and visit set. When we're in production on this film, come by and visit set, you know. You're part of making this happen, which means you're part of the team. If you so want to do come you have extras? There will be, yeah. Yeah, so maybe the investors could be extras and you could slaughter them with other zombies <laughs> or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, there, there are things that are, that, you know, that are there and available in that way. I mean, we are going to need extras that are there. It's right. going to be an all-hands-on-deck, friends-and-family type of deal. You right. Know? And if investors want that, we've had some people, they're like, man, I'd really love to see myself on screen or my kid on screen or something like that. It's like, well, let's figure it out. Yeah. You know, there, there are opportunities for that. You know, it's not likely that you're just going to come in off the street and be the lead in a film, but you want to be in a film and see yourself or you want to come and be a part of it. Also, everybody as a business owner, as a company, we're starved for content. Like we, oh, we, yeah. It's so necessary for all of us to be able to generate social media posts or whatever. Right. How cool is it? To be able to go to set and say, hey, look, we're shooting a movie today that I'm a part of. You know, come follow my company, whatever, because this is the kind of stuff that we're doing. Great. I'll work with you to try to make those types of things valuable for you. Yeah. Can you imagine if part of your your business solution is to help people avoid issues or dangerous things and stuff to say, hey, we're we're. We're sponsoring this horror movie, you know, because we try to prevent horrors from happening in your life. I love that marketing plan. Yeah, there's all kinds of different opportunities for that. So it's a matter of just trying to get together with people, find out which ways we can help each other, Mm -hmm. and then get excited about making new things. And it's also fun from an investment standpoint. Most investments make money, lose money. That's it. That's all they do. Right. This makes money, loses money, just like any other investment opportunity. But you also have this new thing. You make this thing that lasts forever, that without you wouldn't exist. It's just a great story on the minimum. Yeah. It's such a neat thing. And then you also get to go and sit in a theater where it's going to play to other people. And you can see what you were a part of, like cause a reaction in somebody else. Yeah. It's fun. And it is the, fun. I've had that fun and I want other people to be able to experience that fun. I love that. I love that. And you, know, you mentioned about, you know, you, you might want to have your kid as, as an extra or something, anything like that. I have to tell you, um, in the fifth grade, um, my son Andrew was a um, ball boy at the TWSAA basketball tournament, which meant he went out there wiped up sweat, right? <laughs> sure. Okay. All right. My wife and I paid $20 a piece to sit there for one game while he was the ball boy, just so we could see him do that. That little bitty thing, people will invest to give experiences to their to their family or just to have the experience of sitting in that theater and go, hey, I was part of this. Yeah. I love and, that. And that's part of where we're at. You know, the big thing is, is that, you know, what we have to offer is a hell of a lot more fun than the other investment opportunities that you're getting presented. <laughs> that's so <laughs> that's true. basically it. You know, we realize, <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot about it that makes sense from a business standpoint. I can get more into the weeds and the details about that stuff, but it's, it's, you know, in the end, the best thing that it's got is it's experiential. Yep. Well, all right. So before we leave, I tell people how they can get involved. 
and how can they find you? Yeah, so the easiest way to find us is bestpartproductions.com uh, through the website. And uh, you can also find me. Uh, we're on Twitter at, at bestpartpro. Uh, my personal Twitter is at treymc, T-R-E-Y-M-C. Um, those are easy ways to try to find us. Um, you know, also by uh, emails and things are listed on the website. And just if you have any interest in it, you want to know more about it, send a message. I'll be happy to come and sit down with you and let's talk. Yeah. And, and he's very serious about that. He wants the the everyday person to be part of this and he's passionate about it. It's just, it's intoxicating. I have to tell you the excitement of being part of a horror, horror movie, I mean, which is hysterical to my children because I'm the guy that watches the horror movie from the kitchen. <laughs> I'm the biggest chicken in the world. <laughs> yeah. But it, this is just cool. Well, it's a weird thing. There's a lot of people that are that way. Um, statistically, people are least likely to list horror movies as their favorite film genre. Right. But those people are the most likely to spend money on movies. The people that list it as their favorite spend more money on movies than anybody else. And not just on horror movies. Those right. People just love movies. Yeah. Oh, and that's cool. But I've got several investors right now that probably aren't going to watch the movie. <laughs> They're going to be terrified of it. It's not a thing that's interesting to them. Oh. But the idea of the process is. You throw that creepy music out, and you, I'm, I'm heading to the kitchen right then <laughs> before the anything else comes up. You know, it's just like they, they all make fun of me. So, so you're the one that's just uh, all this month you're hiding and say, call me at Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, at Thanksgiving, I'm going to have smoked turkey and I'm going to have you know, all that other good stuff. Trey, thank you for sharing your passion with us. We really appreciate you coming by. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Absolutely. So the other day I had a coffee with a buddy of mine, Dave Tobin. He's the different type of insurance guy that you've ever met. He describes health insurance company as health insurance monsters. And every year they show up without any warning and increase your premium 10 to 15% for next year. And I think we all can relate to the insurance monster, you know? He strives to reduce the cost of the premiums by 10 to 20% without cutting your benefits. That's pretty cool. One of his clients actually received a refund check from the insurance monster for $85,000 based on what work that Dave did for them. So if you want to tackle that insurance monster, reach out to Dave Tobin. This week, our tech tip is really about that attendee list. And we had our business conference recently, and so it's kind of on my brain to make sure that we understand the significance of that list. If you go to a networking event, first thing you need to do is if you can find a list of the attendees beforehand that gives you a group that you know who's going to be in the room, who you might need to go talk to. If you don't have it beforehand, a really good tip is to get to the event early so that you can walk up to the registration table and often all of those name tags will be laid out on that table. Well, just scan the table and check it out. See who is the arriving Look at the name tag, see who the people that you need to make sure that you meet or follow up with. If you cannot get that, then after the event, ask them to, to send that to you because that follow-up list is, is so crucial. And I, I'll tell them myself real quick. I attended an event where people actually, when they registered, they just signed in. And there were some important people for my process on that list. So I just took my phone out, took a picture of it. The person at the counter 
her looked at me funny, but I really didn't mind that she did because I needed that list. The list, the attendee list is important for your sales opportunity, so don't leave it out. Go get it. That, my friends, is your tip for this week. Hey, we also want to thank our friends over at I-65 Music. They're the ones that produce, recorded, and edited this episode. Nashville's only audio branding agency, 20 years experience in music and audio. They give brands and agencies that expertise needed to bring their companies and their brands voice to the world. You know, if your company or your brand is is looking to be more distinctive in its category and precise in its communication, then reach out to I-65 Music. Their website is I as in the letter i65music.com or you can also email them at info at i65music.com. I hope that you enjoyed this story today. It, it, to me, the, the hearing from somebody's heart, how they achieved what's important to them, their passion, really, it tells me who they are as a person, and it helps me find success in other things as well. If you know somebody that needs to be part of our show, please let us know, and join us anytime you'd care to at one of our C-Suite events. Another thing that you could do to help us out with this is subscribe and also leave a comment. Tell us what we're doing right yeah we'll take the what we can do improve too because you don't get better without that but please join us each time if you subscribe to it you'll be notified every time we put one out thanks talk to you soon